Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What happens when you don't live up to expectations? When you're a small fish in a big pond that is running out of water? When you're an NBA player continuing to struggle to find your game in your team? Let's take a look at one player's journey in the premiere episode of the Guard Report podcast. This is the Garden Report Podcast, and my name is Jared Weiss. You may know me as the host, executive producer, creator, best boy, and craft services coordinator of the Guard Report Live postgame show on CLNS Radio and Celtics Blog. This is the first episode in a series of podcasts coming this season that dive deep into the most interesting subjects surrounding the Boston Celtics. In our first episode, we speak with Gerald Green and the many players and coaches who have crossed paths with him as he comes full circle on his career in Boston. Now, if you would like to learn more about where the show is going, you could stay here. But if you don't care and you just want to jump ahead to the beginning of the episode, which hey, I'm totally fine with, you can skip to the 440 game mark. As someone who listens to Boston's WBUR NPR station all day and also was in the process of creating a new podcast, I found myself wondering why there aren't really any narrative style podcasts covering the NBA. Then I got a call from Jake Fisher, a great writer and a must-read columnist at Sports Illustrated, who told me he wanted to turn his stories into audio journeys. He began a show called The Phonetic, and I loved it so much that I decided that I thought that this could be the perfect format for what I'm looking to do. Then I found myself at an event put on by NPR's Modern Love podcast where they spoke about the art of podcasting. I just I love the aesthetic and the experience of their show. It, I went to speak with WBUR's program director and we talked about the pros and cons of sports talk radio. And when we tried to think of all the narrative shows covering sports, the only one that we could come up with was only a game over at WBUR. So I decided then that this is exactly how we are going to cover the Celtics this year in the podcasting area. So the Garden Report podcast will take the great analysis we have been, been providing to you on our postgame show and give it a new outlet and format. 
we'll get a chance to spend time in this show closely examining an interesting topic and get to the bottom of why it is and where it will go. So we'll bring you stories and discussions every episode where you'll hear original interviews of players, coaches, and everyone in between that is involved with the NBA. After our stories, we won't do it this episode, but we'll do it in the future, we'll sit down with a slew of guests to break down the stories and the topics that they affect. So now you can still get everything at this one Garden Report podcast hub. So whether you're on iTunes or Stitcher or getting it directly through CLNS Radio, everything will still be in there. The audio version of Garden Report Live, this podcast, all the post-game press conferences, all in the same place. But now the Garden Report Live, it's shorter and more efficient And you'll actually be able to watch it pretty close to after the game as we're shooting one right out after we get out of the locker room. And we'll have that up for you really quickly. So most nights, if you're still up at 11 11 p.m. actually, you'll be able to watch the part one of the Garden Report. Uh, And then this podcast will be there on a bi-weekly basis or so. So you'll be able to go more in depth. And with so much great coverage of the Celtics already at CLNS Radio, between Celtics Beat with Larry H. Russell, Celtics Stuff Live, our Garden Report Live postgame video show on YouTube, and the CLNS Radio postgame show that's also on ESPN New Hampshire, CLNS Radio just has the Celtics covered from every angle. But the Garden Report podcast is here to take you deep inside the Celtics and the NBA, so let's begin our first episode. Before we begin, let's talk about Indochino, whose made-to-measure suits will have you looking like a million bucks. But now with our promo code GARDEN, their $800 custom suits will cost you just $389. That's over 50% off any of their suits. Visit their showroom on Newbury Street in the Back Bay to get fitted today for your made-to-measure suit, and you can start looking as sharp as we do on the Garden Report. We visited the showroom to get fitted, and it was an amazing experience. They are filled to the cuff with fabric selections with pretty much any pattern and color you can think of. And they're getting even more patterns in this winter, and they're even starting a made-to-measure program for winter coats. So perfect time for that. Uh, You pick your lining, lapel, your monogram, and more. The measurement process was actually kind of a fun experience, and my style guide made it really easy for me. And then I went and I saw my boys J Squared at the Newbury Street showroom, and I ordered my first suit last Friday. I got the blue nail head suit with psychedelic dream lining for some fun on the inside. I even got to pick the color of the buttonholes, and I, I decided to go for a, a cool blue. And just in a few weeks, you're going to see me rock it on the Garden Report Live. They even monogram on the inside. It says custom made for Sir Jared Weiss. So you show up to the store, kick back, relax, and get ready to step into a perfectly fitting suit in just four weeks. My closet is filled with Armani and Brioni suits, so my standards for fabric and construction are as high as they possibly can be. But sure enough, Indochino's fabrics just had that quality texture, and they have the half canvas construction so that... You'll just kind of store away your off-the-rack suit. You'll, you'll probably throw it away or you'll give it to a friend and tell them, hey, Hugo Boss, really nice suit. This is really special for you, but you're going to know your Indochino suit is really your bread and butter. So go to Indochino.com, 
book your appointment at their Boston showroom. See my guys J Squared over there, and you can get any premium suit for just $389 when you mention the code GARDEN. You will not beat this deal anywhere. You cannot get a made-to-measure suit of this quality at this price anywhere that I have ever heard of. So go to Indochino.com, set yourself up for a great experience in their Boston showroom, and use the code GARDEN. Many players hold on to the NBA for as long as they can before they eventually begin a second phase of their careers overseas. They regrettably bid the NBA farewell and find themselves starting anew in Italy or Turkey or Croatia or even China, but a lucky few make it back. And today, we will talk about one of them. This is From Russia With Love, The Return of Gerald Green. His journey began in Boston. Gerald Green was a first-round pick for the Boston Celtics back in 2005. It was the second straight year Danny Ainge selected a high school phenom after hitting a home run on Al Jefferson in the middle of the first round the year before. Green even was a starter at one point, scoring 13 points per game in 26 starts after both Paul Pierce and Tony Allen went down in the same year in 2006-2007. His hype continued to build, with Kobe Bryant even calling him a hell of a talent that reminded Kobe of himself. But when Green won the dunk contest at All-Star Weekend for the Celtics, he looked like he could become the athletic complement to Paul Pierce's methodical ground game. But then he was shipped with half of his teammates to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Kevin Garnett, which he actually was pretty cool with. And I never really had hard feelings. Um, shoot, I would trade myself for Kevin Garnett as well, too, so... While a new Big Three era rose and fell in Boston, Green floundered through the Western Conference. With inconsistent bounce of scoring in a split year between the Wolves and the Rockets before one final season in Dallas. The problems began in Minnesota where he started the season at the bottom of the depth chart and never really broke through. He made waves for his unforgettable dunk contest performance where he blew out the candle on a cupcake <laughs> sitting on the rim. But when the Wolves surprisingly declined his final year option, he requested a trade. As Paul Pierce said at the time, Gerald was still trying to find himself. But it turned out the answer wasn't in Houston. He was traded to his hometown on February 21st and was released three weeks later. His last shot came in Dallas, a place he chose over multiple other teams to make sure he stuck. 
and it looked like things were clicking when he spent a month as a starting small forward when Josh Howard went down in November. He carved out an inconsistent but still present role in the Mavs rotation as they eventually fell to the Nuggets in the conference semis. Green spent the entirety of the elimination game five watching from the bench, but with 34 seconds left and a 14-point deficit, Coach Avery Johnson realized the season was over. He brought in Gerald, who drew a foul on his first possession. He would miss both free throws and walk off the court. It would turn out to be his final moment in the NBA for the time being. Doc Rivers said Gerald would have been an all-star if he had just listened to him when he had the chance. Green even admitted he didn't understand it until he got to Dallas. Green said that when you're winning, it's a whole different atmosphere. I didn't understand a winning atmosphere until I got to Dallas. When I got to Dallas, that's when I understood, wow, we've got to really take things seriously. These people don't play. So when Dallas didn't work out and the next summer came up with no NBA offers, He took his talents to South Beach, or rather, the southern tip of Russia in the Black Sea. He played for Lokomotiv Kuban in Krasnodar, which Forbes named the best city for business in Russia. But it was a basketball wasteland for Gerald. He lasted a few games before his release. He would eventually play for the Lakers Summer League team, but ended up back in Russia with Krasnia Krivia, if I even got that right. He would be teammates with former Spur Dewan Blair, but he was completely miserable outside of the gym. You know, when I was in Russia and freezing, freezing cold, eating borscht soup in, in China, not really eating right because I didn't like the food out there. Like, it was just, I didn't, it was, it was, a, it was a point to where I felt like I was an NBA player. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't want to be out there anymore. I didn't want to play overseas. I didn't want to, I didn't want to play in Europe. Green told Grantland's Jonathan Abrams in 2012 that the biggest part of the culture shock was being the only black person around. He described the daily life where he was the only black person in town, which was as much a shock for him as the Russians staring at him in complete confusion. He said all throughout Russia, people in small cities would come up to him and grab his skin to see if it was paint. He was an alien making first contact, and it was the type of experience that made him insular. It drove Green to focus his energy in the gym and love the game rather than play it. After Russia, Gerald tried one last go around when the NBA lockout hit in 2011. He signed with the Foshan Long Lions in Guangzhou, China in October, but Green was not interested in fitting into the team system and was released after just four games. Green had 26.5 points per game, but the team went 1-3. and three. An English-language report from China described Green as the former NBA Slam Duck contest winner. I wanted to be an NBA player, so it was something that I had to change for myself. Like, I always used to sit here and point the finger at everybody else, what everybody else was doing. But at that point, I just told myself, what can I do to change? What can I do to change myself? What can I do to change off the court? What can I do to change on the court to be a better basketball player? So that's what I tried to do. 
He was too far from home. It was time to come back. was a better fit for Green, who had the motivation of NBA eyes on a consistent basis. After being waived by the Lakers just before the lockout-shortened season began, he resurrected his career with their D-League team under coach Eric Musselman. Green would go on to win MVP of the D-League, all-star team for the LA Defenders. Musselman helped keep Green in a mindset to improve as a player, rather than get called up. It was focusing on the former that fostered the latter. His more controlled and well-rounded game had grown enough to impress Nets GM Billy King, who brought on Green for a 10-day deal after the trade deadline. He became a revelation for the Nets, who were headed nowhere under his coach from Dallas, Avery Johnson, and were ready to embrace Green's energy in roller coaster scoring. For all-star Brooke Lopez, Green was really a sigh of relief. Yeah, he was just high energy. You know, He always came to the game, picked an picked a energy level and effort level up. Uh, and brought life to us. Uh, you know, we, we looked and uh, do that every night, and uh, absolutely something to do off the bench. He scored 20 points in seven games and showed significantly improved defense from his last tour of the league. The excitement peaked when Green converted one of the greatest dunks in the history of the game. Nice outlet on the run, two on one. Green the finish. Oh my goodness, he just didn't make that a normal catch and finish. He caught it, brought it down, wound up, and threw it down. He picked up where he had left off a few years back. It was a defining play for a rough final year in New Jersey for the Nets, one of the few bright spots of the year for Lopez. I just remember his uh, lob against the Rockets, his like windmill lob. I remember he said he caught it. And he felt like he was like looking down there, like thinking, like, "What am I going to do with it right now?" Like he had that much time in the air. Like I've never been in there that long. Have you ever seen anyone that can jump as high as he can? I don't think so, honestly. That was that was amazing. That lob specifically, but just seeing him, you know, all the way up playing against him from high school, uh, you know, all the way to the NBA. It's he's never seen anything like that. Come summertime, Gree earned a three-year deal from Indiana, the first long-term security he had enjoyed in years. But once again, Green didn't last long. He only spent a season in Indy before being traded to the Suns. It was initially a frustrating experience for Green, but it actually ended up saving his career because if his journey to the other side of the world turned him around, it was playing for Jeff Hornacek in Phoenix that catapulted it. I think he just felt confident. We we uh, we knew sometimes maybe he'd take a little bit of a wild shot. That's not a, a, a typical coach's shot that they want, but uh, we knew that we had to kind of accept a few of those from Gerald uh, because then all of a sudden you'd go bad. Oh, that's a bad shot, but it would go in. So uh, that was just Gerald. For Green, it was a system that took advantage of his greatest asset, unpredictability. He had plenty of freedom and was constantly in motion. In Phoenix, man, I saw like, Phoenix like the running gun. You know, Phoenix was a running gun team that, you know, it's, we used to do a drill that uh, try to score the, for the first seven seconds. We used to do that in practice. So, you know, once we came into the games, that was like natural for us. People didn't understand the way we was playing, and um, you know, that's just how we played. 
to his coach Hornacek, it was all about getting Green fed the ball in the right situations. Coming off a pin down, moving in transition, the pace of play and offensive scheme was just right for him. Uh, yeah, and he had some guards that really fed him the ball, uh, looked for him, because uh, they, they enjoyed some of the stuff that he could do. The guy doing most of the feeding was Goran Dragic, who had a career year playing next to Green after taking the mantle from Steve Nash in Phoenix. Dragic would again be his teammate last season in Miami. I know him really well. We spent what, together about three years. And, uh, you know, he's an Eastern Dolphins. I mean, he's such an explosive guy. He can give you quick, you know, 20 points. And, uh, you know, he was awesome when I was playing with him. Green's time in the D-League helped him develop the nuanced skills of a starting caliber wing. He had been the scorer on the ball his whole life, which was why he thrived in Boston for that short period of time. That was his role on a broken team, but in Minnesota and Houston, they had no need for an offensive black hole like that. By the time he was making a second stint in the league, he had finally accepted and understood how to balance his repertoire to make himself useful. That was where his absurd athleticism finally became a real advantage. When he's uh, playing in playing in the fast break in the open core or, you know, coming off pin downs, down screens, that sort of thing where he can really use his athleticism and, uh, you know, obviously uh, his shot to his advantage. So, like, when you would set a pin down for him, you'd come on a curl to, like, the elbow. Were you, where would you reposition? Because he either is going to pull up for that shot or he's going to drive and has a chance to yeah. kick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just reading him, obviously. But, uh, you know, he, he's so good at making decisions off, uh, off that pin down. And he has so many different weapons. His arsenal, uh, it did a lot for us. A big thing for Green was becoming a creator. His game had been one-dimensional, but now he was driving and kicking, slipping pocket passes and resetting out of clog lanes. For Green, there was one improvement that he felt changed his career. I think my vision. Um, I don't think I've always had the ability to pass. I just think that learning the game, seeing those little tight spaces, to be able to make that pass. You know, you can't do something unless you don't see it. His game had become more about exploding when he needed to rather than when he planned to. He's just put so much more, I guess, um, techniques and fundamentals and melded that with his athleticism. And, uh, you know, obviously he still uses athleticism to advantage, but, uh, you know, he, he can, uh, he can uh, outplay guys just by, you know, outthinking them, you know, uh, with the different moves he has. He had been labeled a maverick, a gunner, but he grew past it. No, I wouldn't say I was a wild Mustang, man. No, I was just able to just, uh, you know, just able to go up and down the floor, use my athleticism as an advantage. Phoenix allowed him to be more of that old Mustang self. The organized chaos was ideal for him, even if he was now really more domesticated than wild. It depends on the style, of course. You know, in Phoenix, we were more up-tempo. So you, you just hit him in, the, in, in transition or... You know, he gonna, he's such a good shooter and catch and shoot or from the dribble. Um, but, you know, here in Miami it was a little bit different because we have different style, different set plays. But, uh, uh, you know, he can create his own shot. It's, it looks easy to him. Um, but, um, you know, from pin downs, uh, you know, if they top block it, he's going to come to the other side or you can throw him a lob. I mean, you can do a lot of stuff.
having Dragic over from Phoenix to Miami eased the transition for Green. But overall, Miami's system just wasn't a good fit. In his first year in Phoenix with Dragic, the offense was free-flowing, but it was always in Dragic's control. But in the 14-15 season, the three-headed point guard attack with Isaiah Thomas, Eric Bledsoe, and Dragic proved to be a complete disaster. Green's role took a hit, and when his defensive effort waned, Jeff Hornacek put him on notice. Green said he wanted to stay, but didn't think the feeling was mutual. And it wasn't. So Green signed with the Heat in the offseason. Hornacek had offered an early hint at why he wasn't staying in in early April that season. Hornacek said Green never really seemed to get it going. And then it comes down to the point where if you're not scoring and if your defense isn't picking up, it's hard to stay in the game. The next guy is going, I needed help here and the guy wasn't here. We're trying to develop something for the future, not just being out here for everybody to play in the game. We want to get a top-notch winning level and you've got to do it on both sides. So, playing with Dragic again, who had been traded mid-season, provided Green with some familiarity. But the Heat were one of the slowest-paced teams in the league, and Green found himself again trapped in the corner most possessions. Watching his 20s and his historic athleticism go, for the most part, underutilized. In Miami, it was all about slowing it down, giving it to our core guys, giving it to our horses. Uh, you know, D-Wade and uh, Chris Bosh, and, and uh, you know, that was just something that we did uh, periodically, you know, and uh, just kind of play off those guys and, and, and just get your shots from there. The system may not have been a good fit, but the locker room was. He watched Hassan Whiteside, another notable transcontinental journeyman, rise to prominence and earn himself a $98 million deal. They were kindred spirits, both going through the journey out in China and then making their way back. You know, it was just more like we knew each other's stories, you know. We knew what it took to get here. You know, he wanted the hardest working teammates I would play with. So, so that, that's, that's just kind of how he was as a person. Whiteside found himself confronted with the same conundrum as Green when he was on the other side of the world. He played in China and Lebanon. But belief in himself kept the values of his career from bottoming out. You know, man, I I just basically, you know, it wasn't really, it was more so for me just, wow, let's let's keep this journey going. You know, uh, I'm, I'm old. Things are not going my way right now, but if I keep working and um, keep putting in the time, um, things are going to go in the right direction. Green had an important role in Miami, but this time it was as a mentor. For a player who so desperately needed guidance in his career, Green had actually matured the hard way. When the Heat drafted Justice Winslow, who knew Gerald from being in Houston, Green took him under his wing. He just he just kind of taught me that that confidence, that amnesia to just you know shoot it with confidence and miss it, make you know go to the next play. A lot of times Gerald um, would, would take some good shots, take some bad shots, but I mean he was just shooting it with confidence and and miss or make he moved on to the next play. Green was one of the final players drafted out of high school, and he became the poster child for why the league expanded its age minimum. But his improbable rejuvenation has become a new example in the league. Green has shown how even the most immature young players can grow, how they can balance their emotional and basketball imperfections with commitment and flexibility and open-mindedness. It was an important lesson for Winslow, who came into the league with a sterling reputation and needed to learn how to stay on track. It helped Winslow push himself 
actually to go in front of Gerald in the rotation by the end of the year. A guy like that, um, he was drafted, uh, was in the league, was out the league. So, I mean, he taught me just how to, you know, consistently every day get better, work on your craft, and just come, come ready and focus and prepare because um, you never know when your name is going to be called upon. So, um, I mean, it was, it was great having him. Green had a bizarre incident at his apartment complex that saw him briefly leave the team. He worked his way back in, but Josh Richardson and Winslow eventually supplanted him in the rotation as Green finished the year with a whimper. He found himself in the exact same spot he was in a year before, and this summer signed a veteran minimum deal in Boston. He was finally back where it all started. interesting thing about returning home is seeing how your perspective changes. When you visit your childhood home, just the fact that everything looks so much smaller can be bewildering. Things that seemed so vital turned out to be some of the most inconsequential banalities of everyday life. So for Green, returning to Boston after running the spectrum of imaginable roles on a basketball team across the globe... Being the elder statesman fits just right. I mean, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm a veteran player, so, you know, I think for me, what I'm going to do is be professional. Whatever role they give me, I'm going to do it. Um, if it's, you know, starting one night, coming off the bench one night, not playing another night, whatever it is, um, I'm going to be a professional about it. I'm going to uh, guide these young guys, make sure that these young guys uh, get their work in, um, like how I was when I was young. So, uh I'm just going to make sure that these uh just going to make sure the team is uh got together and ready for this battle that we're going to have to go through. It's 82 it's an 82 game battle before we get to the war. As he made his way through the league in his second stint, he changed a lot of preconceived and frankly well-earned opinions of his priorities and work ethic. The guy whose former teammates and coaches had said he needed to want it more was a worker and a leader. Although the endings never have been as good as the beginnings, he has done what he needs to do to survive in the NBA. So he is a more equipped player with a better temperament. But that has only gotten him so far in recent years. Every strong start has eventually burnt the candle at both ends. So why come back to Boston? You know what? IT was a big was a big influence. Um, my, my family's here as well, my two kids. So um, I just kind of want to be close to them. But IT was a really big influence for me. Um, and then just hearing how, hearing how the players really adjust, really adapt to uh, Coach Brad Stevens, how he was a player, like all the players are playing for him. So I just wanted to just to be a part of that. And I, I remember, I remember in Miami when we played them, I didn't look like they was having so much fun. And I, don't know, I just kind of felt like I wanted to be a part of that. His new coach wants him there so he can be Gerald Green. Stevens hasn't seen much of Green yet after getting her coming into preseason, but Green has slowly worked his way into the second unit. But he's a guy that can do what he does, right? And um, you know, and then you know, hopefully you can you can you can feed him while he's hot, and, and he can space the floor for himself and others, regardless. The Stevens system mirrors a lot of the same principles Phoenix still had transitioning out of the seven seconds or less era under Hornacek. His former coach sees an ideal fit for Green in Boston. 
Absolutely. Brad does a great job with his players, uh, you know, getting them to, to uh, uh, enable them to, to use their strengths. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be great here. Gerald understands he won't be starting and he won't be dropping 20 every night. He's being utilized as a pseudo-replacement for Evan Turner, creating in tight spaces for the second unit. Green tends to be steadily operating on the outskirts of the play, stepping in when he needs to take control. He'll run a quick side pick and roll to slip a pocket pass to a rolling Tyler Zeller. He'll come off a pin down to pop a three from the elbow. He's doing what he does best. You know, I'm just going here just trying to play my game and just be a veteran, be a leader. You know, be a leader, be, you know, be a leader at all levels. You know what I mean? That's something I learned over the years. Just because you're not the captain don't mean you can lead at all levels. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm trying to do. For Gerald... He just wants to finish something off the right way. Boston just might be the place it finally happens. That will do it for the premiere episode of the Garden Report podcast. My name is Jared Weiss, and I want to thank Hassan Whiteside, Justice Winslow, Goran Dragic, Brooke Lopez, Jeff Hornacek, Brad Stevens, and of course, Gerald Green for speaking with me for the show. I want to thank our Garden Report producers, Kyle George and Jeremy Karp, my bosses, Nick Gelso of CLNS Radio and Jeff Clark of Celtics Blog, and most of all, our amazing sponsors in Docino. They are taking great care of me, and they will take great care of you, so please use the code GARDEN to get the best-fitted suit of your life. And it will be huge for building this show into something great. The more success we have with our sponsors, the more that we can do with this show. So... Please subscribe to the Garden Report stream on iTunes and Stitcher and to CLNS Radio on YouTube for all the audio and video coverage that I bring through the Garden Report with our team. And of course, at CLNS Radio's YouTube channel and at the CLNS Radio app, you can get everything that we do at CLNS Radio. So be sure to give this show five stars. You should write a complaint to iTunes saying I want to give six stars and a review actual review would be really helpful so that other people will download the show and they'll think maybe this is a good way to try not to murder the person in front of me who refuses to use their turn signal while we're sitting in traffic on the pike don't forget to listen to celtics beat celtics stuff live the clns radio celtics post game show garden report live video post game show hosted by yours truly and of course the phonetic podcast you can follow me on twitter and instagram at jared weiss nba the music for this show is brought to you by some of the greatest hip-hop minds of all time. We use MF Doom in this one. We use Flying Lotus in this one. We use Jay Dilla in this one. Uh, hit me up on Twitter if you want to get the names of the actual tracks. Uh, we'll be back in a few weeks with another deep dive into the Celtics. And next time, I'll be bringing on a guest afterwards for a further discussion. Until next time, I'm Jared Weiss, and this is the Garden Report Podcast. Oh,